Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. According to the WFP, which is the World Food Program, the world is facing famines of biblical proportions. They warn that the coronavirus pandemic could push an additional 130 million people to the brink of starvation. Mostly in Latin American nations, they face the most dramatic change in their situation, with the number of malnourished people increasing by as much as 269%. So is this increase in famine and disease a sign of Jesus' return? Is COVID-19 a sign of the last days? I'm doing a sermon series, Are You Ready? What to Expect Before and After Jesus Returns. We're in part four, Famine and Disease. And we're going to spend time looking in Revelation, where it speaks of a time in the future when things on earth will get really bad. Jesus describes it as a time like no other, a great tribulation unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. So we're going to jump into the story about the beginning of the end, the sending of the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation 6. But before we go to Revelation 6, turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 1, because that's where we find the outline and the theme of the book. Some people are scared of Revelation, but we shouldn't be, because it's all outlined here. But the first verse in Revelation chapter 1 says what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. So the whole book is the revelation of Jesus. Jesus Christ revealed, and his plan for the redemption of the world. Now, a very important verse, and I want to encourage you to mark this in your Bible. In chapter 1, verse 19, underline that verse, because that is the outline for the whole book. So if you follow this outline, you won't get lost. And what does it say? Jesus is telling John, the apostle, write the things which you have seen. So what's that? Jesus. He just saw Jesus. And then write the things which are. That's our current present time. Chapters 2 and 3, which are the letters to the church. We are part of the church age. So Jesus says to John, write the things you've seen, chapter 1 which is Jesus. Write the things which are, which are chapters 2 and 3, is the present church age. And then he says, and write the things which will take place after these things. What's that? Future. So chapters 4 through the end, chapter 22, is about the future. And chapter 6, where we're going to go to in a minute, begins the great tribulation time a seven-year period where God's wrath will be poured out on the earth, mainly to still give people a chance to repent, but also to take back the earth from the enemy. And that's been the plan since the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve handed the world over to the enemy. So Jesus has always planned to come back, and that's 
what Revelation is about. So in Revelation chapter 6, let's go there. Again, this is John having this vision, this revelation from Jesus. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals. Now, let's stop for a second. Who's the lamb? It's capitalized. It's Jesus, the lamb of God. And what are the seals, the seven seals? Well, I can't get into the whole sermon about that. But just know that the scroll that has the seven seals on it is the deed to planet Earth. So you know how like when you buy a house or something and you own it, you get the deed. So the deed was handed over to the devil for a time. And now the seven seals are going to be unfolded because in that time, the seven seals, that was what it was. It was a document of ownership for the earth. Now, there's only one person who could do it. And that's why in chapter five, John gets really sad. He says, because they said, who can open it? Nobody. Jesus, the lamb, can open it because he's the son of God and he redeemed us. And now he's going to redeem the world. So that's the seven seals. And that kicks off the seven-year period of the tribulation. It says, I heard one of the four creatures saying with a loud voice, come. So he calls John to come look. And John says, I looked and I saw a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. Who is this? Now there's four horses here. So that's kind of cool. So there's horses obviously in heaven. And who's on it? A white horse. Some people go, that's Jesus. Well, chapter 19, Jesus does come on a white horse. That's when he comes to finally come to the earth and reign and judge. But this is not Jesus. This is someone who is a false Jesus, a false Christ. That's why he's on a white horse. It kind of indicates peace. And he has a bow and a crown, which indicates authority. So who is this? Well, the white horse is the Antichrist. The white horse is the Antichrist. We know this not only because we know that that's going to happen. When you continue to read the Revelation, you'll find the beast or the man of lawlessness. He's referred to as the abomination of desolation. He's a world leader that will come and seem like he's a peaceful person, but he's not. And he's given authority to rule the world. And in context, Jesus wouldn't be riding with the three other horses, the war, the famine, and death. This is the beginning of the end, the last seven years. And this leader will be a charismatic world leader, and people will worship him because he brings peace. And they say, who is like him? I don't know who this actual person is. I personally, and I don't have proof, but I personally believe that he's alive today somewhere probably in Europe somewhere. But these seals of judgment are not as so much God punishing man as it is God leaving man to his own devices. So the Antichrist is the ultimate human leader because he's unsubmitted to God. Okay, The world wants a leader that is unsubmitted to God because the world is of lawlessness. And this is the man of lawlessness, okay? So let's continue reading through three and four, and then we'll talk about the next horse. 
So when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and a red horse went out, and the person sitting on it was granted to take peace from the earth, that man would slay one another, and a sword was given to him. So what's the red horse represent? War. Obviously, wars have been going on since the beginning of time. In fact, 108 million people were killed in 20th century wars. So this red horse will bring massive wars, maybe atomic-type wars, building up to the final war, which is the Battle of Armageddon. So let's go on, verse 5. When he broke the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come, and so John came and saw a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures, a cord of wheat, and we'll get to this in a minute. But what is this? horse represent. The black horse is famine, and that's what we're going to talk about in the sermon. So famine will increase until the coming of Jesus. And then the last horse, let's read 7 and 8. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come. And I looked, John looked, and an ashen or a pale horse, the word there is chloros in Greek, where we get the word chlorophyll, which is green. A pale horse And he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And we'll talk a little about that later. So what's the pale horse? Death. Death. Many will die during the great tribulation. But today, what should we expect before Jesus returns? Expect famine and disease. Now let's look at that verse I read earlier, Revelation 6.6. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures, a saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and wine. What does that mean? Well, the two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley, that's massive inflation, like in Venezuela. You see massive inflation and people waiting in line for food. Now, what does it mean, (laughs) do not damage the oil and the wine? Well, that means that the poor have nothing while the rich have everything. So basically, there's massive inflation for the regular people, but the people who are in leadership in the government, they have everything. Now, that's not fair, right? I mean, think about it. But anytime you give power to anybody, you take a risk because everyone's a sinner and they abuse that power. And so this world leader is going to have ultimate power. And boy, is he going to mess things up big time. And that's why we have to be careful about giving power over to certain leaders. Because according to statistics, most of the famines are caused by politics, man-made, in other words. It's not that there's not enough food. It's that the governments are corrupt and they keep the food for themselves. They keep the oil and wine for themselves. And we see that all over the place and mostly in socialist and communist countries. That's where we see it the most. Look around the world. I mean, Venezuela was one of the richest countries not too long ago. I'm part Colombian. Uh, My mother is from Colombia. 
And that whole area was trying to be taken over by socialists and communists. Sadly, it happened in Venezuela. And we see people in food lines. So what was one of the richest countries is still rich, but they're hoarding it. It's corrupt. The world is definitely corrupt. The world system is corrupt. And if you read the Revelation, when you get to the end, chapter 17 and 18, God is dealing with that corrupt system. According to ourworldanddata.org, a website, they say over time, famines have become increasingly man-made phenomena, becoming more clearly attributable to political causes, including non-democratic government and conflict. This is because many of the major famines of the 20th century were the outcome of wars or totalitarian regimes. So we have to be careful. We have the privilege to vote, and we have to be careful because you're never going to know, really, but you got to look at the facts and vote where you think you're going to have more freedom in this country to continue to buy things, what you want to buy, and not have them hoarded by the government. So why does God allow famine, though? Well, famine is God's way of revealing our need for him. Have you ever thought of that? That God uses all types of phenomena to get our attention? I mean, think about 9-11. We can look at that and we can honestly say, or I can honestly say, what the devil meant for evil, God turned around for good. How? Many people turned to Christ because of 9-11. I remember I was serving as a worship pastor at a church. People were knocking on our door. They were accepting Christ left and right. The churches were so full, we had to add services. People were outside. Our nation became one nation under God for a little while. Today, sadly, there's a lot of division. Now, is that a bad thing? I don't know. I mean, Jesus said that what was spoken in the dark is now proclaimed from the rooftops. So God is revealing the darkness if you have eyes to see. The Bible says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? See, it's clearer now more than ever, at least to me, which side is light and which side is darkness. And I want to say this. People who side with lawlessness, people who show a spirit of antichrist, people who devalue and destroy life, that is not light. That is darkness. The church should be the light of the world. But sadly, even the church is divided. But you know what? That was even told to us ahead of time by Jesus, wasn't it? He said, let the wheat, the true wheat and the false wheat grow together until the harvest. So in other words, there's people in the church who are not of Christ. They're fake wheat. They act like Christians, but they're not of light. And you see this in the way denominations are even splitting. Light, dark. Light, dark. We look at the world that way, but sadly, the church is even that way. Now, God is a covenant God. He calls us into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And guess what? We, the church, are the bride of Christ. So we are in a covenant 
relationship with God through Jesus Christ, of which he initiated the relationship. We did not. He reached out to us and called us into his kingdom to be the bride of Christ. Now, jump back to Israel for a second, because I believe Revelation in the Bible, as far as chapters 4 through the end, I believe the church is not here. I believe the church is raptured in chapter 4, and we're going to talk more about that next week when I talk about the Great Tribulation. But I believe Revelation is about the redemption of Israel. Because do you know God is not done with Israel? The Bible's very clear. Read Romans 9 through 11. You'll find out that God is not done with Israel. Israel was called into a covenant relationship with God. But what did they do? They committed adultery with the world. And God couldn't sit by idly and let his covenant people whom he loved destroy themselves. So he intervened in many ways. And you know one of the ways he intervened to get their attention? Famine. 2 Chronicles 29. Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house, O Lord, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. That is a theme that happens over and over again with Israel. They wander away. God gets their attention through wars or famine or disease. And that's what happened in 9-11. People flooded the church. God got our attention. They flooded the church where God is. Do you believe that God is sovereign? So in his sovereignty, he uses all kinds of phenomena to draw people to himself, including famine. Do you know that he even sovereignly assigns you to your geographical location? Do you know that? Look at Acts 17, 26 through 27. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries where they live. Why did he do this? So that they might seek God and perhaps reach out to him, though he's not far from each of us. So what is that saying? That means that God sovereignly placed us during a time span and a geographical location. Why? So that we would reach out to God. And we should never underestimate God's grace with regards to where people live. Now, no one wants to experience famine and disease, but what if it's the famine and disease that draws you to salvation in Christ? Maybe you haven't had famine and disease. Maybe you've been abused as a child. Maybe you have a problem with addiction. Maybe you have self-destructive behavior. Whatever it is, what if those bad things God sovereignly allowed into your life that you would reach out to God. That's what happened to me. I hit rock bottom. There was nowhere else to go. I was going to probably kill myself at some point. And by God's grace, God sent people to tell me that Jesus loves me. And he used those bad things like 9-11 and famine and disease and wars, whatever it is, to draw us to him sovereignly. Sovereignly, God appointed me for this time 
to be in this geographical area, not only to draw me to himself, but to help to be a part of drawing others once I'm drawn to himself. So don't ever underestimate God's use of cataclysmic events to change your life. You know, sometimes I don't know what to pray, and I just pray, Lord, do whatever it takes. You know, that's a scary prayer, but it's a good prayer because God doesn't want anyone to perish without knowing him and knowing his son. Lord, do whatever it takes to get his or her attention, and that might be a cataclysmic event. But is it worth it to get their attention? You bet it is. Famine, disease, anything, Lord. For nothing is worse than dying outside of the saving grace of God. Next, God sometimes uses animals to do his will, including the transmission of disease. Did you hear that? God uses anything he wants for whatever purpose he wants sovereignly to accomplish his will. He uses phenomena, famine, disease, weather, wars, different things. But he also uses creation, his creation, to accomplish his will. Do we see God using animals in the Bible? Yeah. In Genesis, we see him use a serpent for Satan to talk to the woman. Did you know that God used donkeys? And one even spoke? And I always say, God, if you can use a donkey, you can use me. God used snakes to bite the people that were complaining, Israel, so that he would get their attention to stop complaining and put their eyes on the cross. That's why Moses held up the snake on the cross, and we're supposed to do the same thing, look to the cross. You know, God uses horses, obviously, we just saw. So in Revelation 6, 8, look at that verse again. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was fallen close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth, to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth, animals. Now, the coronavirus, any coronavirus, is not necessarily a new virus. Anytime you catch a cold, you might have a coronavirus or a rhinovirus. But in the 21st century, there's been two highly pathogenic coronaviruses. One is called SARS, which is acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus. And then there was the one called MERS, which was the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome coronavirus. Those viruses emerged from animal reservoirs to cause global pandemics. So COVID-19 is called a novel coronavirus because it's new and it hasn't really existed that we know of until this year. It originated in Wuhan, China. We don't know exactly sure if it came from a virology lab or from a wet market, but it's different than the human coronavirus, which is a common cold, because it has animal origins and has not been seen in humans. So it's scary. And as this is the case with SARS and MERS, COVID-19 has its origin in bats. Bats. Now, I love the Bible because some people go, the Bible doesn't relate to me. I'm telling you today, the Bible relates to everyone, if you're willing to read it and learn from it. Do you know the Bible actually says something about bats? With regards to God's covenant diet with Israel, he gave specific dietary guidelines. There were clean animals. There were unclean animals. 
And this extended to certain types of birds as well. So in Deuteronomy 14, God tells his people, don't eat the meat of any of the following birds. Eagles, vultures, falcons, kites, ravens, ostriches, owls, seagulls, hawks, pelicans, ospreys, cormorants, storks, herons, and hoopoos. You must not eat bats. Why? Because God is a great virologist. He knows where disease comes from, and he wants to protect you. He knows what we should and should not do, and what we should and should not eat. God knew that bats and other animals, by the way, animals with divided hoofs, including camels, would have the potential of transferring viruses that the human body would have a hard time resisting. So maybe we should stop looking at exotic menus and start reading the Bible. In any case, God will use whatever or whomever he wants to accomplish his will. So is COVID-19 a sign of Jesus' impending return? I believe so, but so are all famine and disease. They should drive us to our Savior. And next, the worst famine anyone could experience is a famine of God's Word. That's the worst famine. Sadly, the church is very malnutritioned, I believe. They're not getting a diet of God's Word. They're getting a diet of political talking points, and they're getting a diet of opinions and ideology and different psychological things, and they're not getting a diet of God's Word. Look what God says in the Old Testament through the prophet Amos. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or thirst, but for hearing the words of the Lord. And you know what? The last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, how many years are between that? 400 years. For 400 years, there was silence from God. That's your children, their children, their children, and their children after that. For 400 years, imagine not hearing a word from God. That's the worst famine of all. Sadly, we're doing this to ourselves. We're becoming malnutritioned because we're not eating the word. We're not drinking the word. And we're believing lies. And we're believing deception. If you're not in the word, I feel bad for you. If you're a Christian and you're not in the word, I feel sad for you. You don't have to live that way. So what should I do to be ready? Eat from the word of God. Eat it. Drink it. Live it. Know it. Look, if you're looking for a church that you don't have a church home, be a part of this church. I want to give you a diet, and I want for myself a diet of the fullness of God's nutrition. Look what Jesus said. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You don't have to live in famine. You don't have to live in disease. The Word of God is with you, and if you're Christian, the Word of God is in you, Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ. But you must eat it. You must believe it. You must know it, and you must live it, and you must share it for the appointed time and place that God has you, which is now, because Jesus is coming back soon. 
Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe a year from now, maybe longer. It doesn't matter. He's coming back. That's truth. And nobody's going to tell you that, ladies and gentlemen, unless you're in the Word. As John the Apostle had that revelation from Jesus, I pray that we would have that revelation from Jesus, that there's nothing more important than him and his word. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you're not far from us. You're with us. But give us, Lord, that urgency and that conviction and that encouragement to be in your word daily. Because if we don't eat physical food for a while, we will die of starvation. I'm concerned that the church in general, especially in the West, in America, has been getting a diet of watered-down opinions. We need a diet of every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me-